The Needle's Eye, a so powerful parable by Dana Buck. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Mark 10, verse 21 through 22. This parable picks up where the story of the rich young ruler leaves off. What could have happened to the man who walked away from Jesus? The Needle's Eye, a so powerful parable by Dana Buck. The greatest stories ever told convey a simple truth and speak to hearts of women, men, grandparents, kids, and youth. And if that's so for all of us, we're very likely liable to find a narrative like that contained within the Bible. So here's a tale from long ago, one shared and shared again. But there's a twist, for this one starts at its tradition end. A crowd had gathered one fine day, a dozen men or so, while two of them intently talk, the rest take in the flow. The tall one they call Jesus, he's that famous Nazarene. They say he heals the sick, that he once made ten lepers clean. The other man has traveled far to have this conversation, but he's reacting to the talk with shock and consternation. His shoulders slump, his fists are clenched, he slowly bows his head. It's obvious he is displeased by words that Jesus said. Did we hear that comment right? I'm really not quite sure. I thought he said, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And so this man turns on his heel, he moves beyond the crowd. Jesus stands and shakes his head, then says these words aloud. And thus it is with men of wealth who want what they can't buy. A camel has a better chance to traverse a needle's eye. The rich man paused a moment as these words hung in the air. He seemed about to turn around, but left in his despair. He walks with hurried, measured step, his feelings quite disjointed. All at once he's angry, sad, annoyed, and disappointed. To think of all the build-up, all the ripe anticipation, the pinnacle of all he sought, his life's grand culmination, the sacrifice, the discipline, the things he's done without, to see it all as worthless now and told it doesn't count. He walks until he finds the stable where he left his horse, and as he starts his journey home, his memories through him course. He hearkens back to Hebrew school, his lessons in the law, his efforts to identify and squash each human flaw. Up at dawn till well past dark, he studied in the quiet, always strict about the Sabbath and so careful with his diet. He memorized commandments and then actionized each one, eliminating time for friends, frivolity, and fun. His morals were untarnished, citing laws and rules with ease. He'd outrighteous all the righteous, outphariseed the Pharisees. So he lived his life of virtue, and he watched with bated breath. 
as the circulated stories of the man from Nazareth. The word was, he's a prophet, although some said a pariah. Now the buzz around the town was that he could be the Messiah. The time had come for payoff. Oh, the praise that he would glean. He put on his finest clothing and sought out the Nazarene. He rode into the village. Through the crowd, he'd quickly burst, then fell upon his knees just in the way he had rehearsed. He mustered up sincerity. Humility was rife. Good teacher, won't you tell me how to have eternal life? The reply that he received was oft recited in his sleep as Jesus listed all of the commandments he must keep. He rose up from the dust once the account was fully done and intoned with satisfaction, I've kept all, yes, every one. He anticipated praise, so then was quite taken aback when Jesus said to him, there's still one other thing you lack. For Jesus saw his heart and not the grand facade he wore. Sell all of your possessions and then give it to the poor. These phrases struck him cold, just like an empty tomb or crypt. He stood without an answer, for this wasn't in his script. Jesus finished speaking, Now do what I ask of thee, and only then return with a desire to follow me. But the rich man sought escape, for he could see he'd been uncovered self-righteousness exposed and his true treasure now discovered. And so this man of wealth, with his carnality awakened, turned and then departed, his foundation greatly shaken. Now mounted on his horse, he wrestled hard to understand why he was judged so harshly with his list of God's commands. I guess that Nazarene just isn't who I thought he was, why can't he recognize a man for all the works he does? My wealth, that shouldn't matter, he repaired his moral axis. After all, I donate alms, I pay my tithe, I pay my taxes. I guess I'll just keep looking for a lord to match my creed. Try to pass a camel through a needle's eye indeed. He was traveling to his father's where he lived in luxury. All his family, they were traders, charging large and handsome fees. I'll just dive into the business, this he said with some resolve. I can still obey the Talmud while I'm well paid and involved. So, arriving at the compound, he picked up where he'd left off. His religion, hard as stone, no compromise, no going soft. And his fortune also prospered as his father's business thrived. You'd think he'd be contented, quite fulfilled and satisfied. But alas, the more he prayed, the more he read, the more he knelt, his soul was dry and arid, and the emptier he felt. All the money they were making only mocked and jibed and taunted, a reminder that he couldn't buy the thing he really wanted. Until one day his father delegated an assignment We've cargo for Jerusalem to sell there on consignment. Load up a sturdy camel, drive him without pause or pity, for it's critical this merchandise move now into the city. But I have this admonition, barring signs or words or omens, this shipment, it must never be impounded by the Romans. You'll leave this very morning, get it safely into town, 
There's great money to be made. I trust you will not let me down. He obeys his father's wishes as the camel grunts and groans, for it's loaded to the hilt, fatiguing muscles, straining bones. As he walks the dusty miles, he hopes this trip will clear his head, for his mind just can't release those nagging words that Jesus said. He pauses at a tavern for a drink and hasty rest. The proprietors are poor, and yet he's honored as their guest. He enjoys a humble meal of just some fish and barley bread. When a sound gains his attention, he pours wine and turns his head. Two beggars fill the doorway. One man makes his way by touch. It's apparent he is blind. The other leans upon a crutch. The rich man grabs his purse to toss a coin and so dismiss. But before he lobs his shekel, this routine, it goes amiss. For the men are warmly greeted by the woman of the house, and two chairs are kindly offered by a man, the woman's spouse. Then food and drink appear, their thirst and hunger are relieved. Why, these beggars know the honor he himself had just received. He motions to the woman as she walks beside the table. He wants to understand. His point of view makes him unable. Why these acts of privilege shown to those who cannot pay? Why not give them each some bread and simply send them on their way? She responded to his question with a smile and knowing nod. Reaching out to touch the poor, you really touch the heart of God. Besides, you never know, she winked parading across the floor. For when you least expect, there could be angels at your door. She moved on to the kitchen. Thoughtfully, he chewed his bread. Jesus' words, and now this woman's, echo loudly in his head. Leaving coins upon the table, he went out to check his pack, and as he did, he still could hear, there's just one other thing you lack. So he traveled days and nights as his exhausted camel hauls, and then he topped a sandy rise and now could see the city walls. He approached the massive gate, but sensed that something here was wrong. The entire way was blocked due to a large and teeming throng. He struggled to get nearer, angry people milled about. Seems the gate was blocked by Romans, keeping everybody out. What's happened in the city? He asked those he was beside. Why have soldiers blocked the entrance, keeping all of us outside? It's been like this for days, a man said angry at the scene. All because the Jewish leaders sought and seized that Nazarene. I heard the Romans beat him, and the rich man was reviled as he heard about the flogging and the mocking and the trial. Somehow the high Sanhedrin got these Romans here to try him. Now they're agitating hotly, for they want to crucify him. This is why the gate is blocked and why we're not permitted by it. Seems the governor is worried there'll be violence and a riot. At these words, the rich man turned and shuffled off some feet away. How could such a thing be happening? He felt grief and keen dismay. He'd begun to reconsider what was wealth and what was dross. Now the man who had those answers was condemned upon a cross. As he stood there and debated to remain or take his leave, he felt a sudden tugging and a pulling on his sleeve. Just behind him was a beggar, very dirty, somewhat gross. 
who cast his eyes from side to side, then beckoned him in close. I can get you in the city, but you're going to have to pay. You'll not get past the Romans, but I know another way. Meet me here at sundown. Don't be late, for I won't tarry. The price is non-negotiable. It's 25 denarii. Then the beggar slightly nodded as the rich man spoke aloud, but this vagrant never heard, for he had vanished in the crowd. Sundown starts the Sabbath. This he pondered in a bother. But I must get in the city. I surely must obey my father. The only option seemed what the old beggar had discussed, so he made a little camp and settled down to wait for dusk. Then there arose a great commotion, seething turmoil at the gate. Roman soldiers were advancing. Had they come to seize his freight? The soldiers marched as people called and shouted in their wrath. Then halting, using shields, the Romans formed an open path. And through this human thoroughfare, three men were rudely bossed, prodded by the soldiers, each one burdened with a cross. The rich man sank down to his knees. His legs had turned to putty. He saw leading this procession Jesus cut and bruised and bloody. They exited the city and were out of sight until he could spy them once again as they all climbed a nearby hill. No words could hold his feelings, for what wrongs had Jesus done? As he watched the crosses raised up on that hilltop, one by one. Throughout the day he sat there, holding vigil grim and stark, when he felt it growing colder and the sky was growing dark. The wind increased its volume and the stones began to break. The darkness grew more ominous and the ground began to shake. He contemplated running lest he come to any harm, then hollered out in panic when the beggar grabbed his arm. Let's move into the city while the Romans are distracted. We've very little time to launch the plan we have enacted. Follow close behind me. Keep your camel very quiet. We're heading for the southern wall. That's where we're going to try it. As the beggar stepped in earnest, so the rich man felt a chill when he paused for one last look back to that scene upon the hill. Something pressing seemed unfinished, like a dream you can't recall, as he started down the pathway leading to the southern wall. They walked around the city, pathway narrow and abrupt, with the beggar out in front. He never could seem to catch up. Then the trail angled sharply, slowing progress to a crawl, till the beggar, man, and camel finally reached the southern wall. They moved along the footings as the sun was going down. There it is, cried out the beggar. That's our way into the town. The rich man stood astonished, felt his aching shoulders drop, for the gate was short and narrow, sharply pointed at the top. He was angry at the beggar, for his trust now seemed ill-put. This gate's no good for camels, only those who go by foot. Never fear, replied the beggar, for I've done this thing before. There's a method to employ to get your camel through the door. We must render him unloaded every basket, sack, and crate. Only then will he be able to pass through this narrow gate. They unpacked the loaded camel. He was burden-free at last, but disturbingly apparent he was still too tall to pass. We've gone to all this trouble, said the rich man. What a chore! And no closer with the camel than we even were before. 
Unloading, said the beggar, is step one of what we do. Hand to me the reins, and I'll now show you number two. He took the reins and prodded. His old nerves were made of steel. With an impressive show of skill, he got the animal to kneel. Now coaxing him to shuffle at a slow and steady rate, he moved that camel forward and then right on through the gate. Now you see, that's how we do it, said the beggar, grinning sly. That's how you get a camel to pass through the needle's eye. At these words, the rich man froze, for they had sucked his breath away. With a voice both high and pinched, he stammered out, What did you say? The beggar turned to answer as he rubbed his balding pate. Well, this here's the needle's eye. That's our nickname for this gate. Most people seek the highway through the door that's tall and wide, yet it's by the path less traveled that you truly get inside. Sometimes it's just so plain we miss the forest for the trees. The destination's only reached with empty hands and bended knees. The rich man stood in wonder at the words so deftly quoted, while the beggar simply smiled and said, Let's get your camel loaded. So they repackaged all the cargo, every pound the beast could carry, and then the rich man reached into his purse for twenty-five denarii, and turning to the beggar, to our bargain you adhered, but he clipped his words mid-sentence, for the man had disappeared. He looked far down the narrow street, then back the other way, as he stood there quite alone, holding his head in his dismay. He remembered what the woman had observed two days before, for when you least expect, there could be angels at your door. So much here was a mystery, and so hard to reconcile. He departed with his camel, his mind spinning all the while. Then arriving at the warehouse that his dad had designated, he left the loaded camel, took a room, and simply waited. It was fully now the Sabbath. He no longer was excused, so he spent a day of rest while feeling challenged and confused. Why would God so lead him to see Jesus as the truth, superseding all the training he'd engaged in since his youth? And even if the Nazarene could satisfy and fill him, what good would that do now? For he'd seen the Romans kill him. It was early Sunday morning, and the sun was not yet up. Through the night, conflicting thoughts, all chance of sleep would interrupt. Finally, rising from his bed and putting on a simple frock, the rich man left his room to clear his head and take a walk. Strolling through deserted streets, the town was still asleep. He walked out of an open gate where shepherds kept their sheep. Some way beyond the walls, the well-worn path began to harden, and soon he found himself within a peaceful little garden. As the newly rising sun confirmed the long night's final end, he sat upon a rock, then heard the words, Hello, my friend. Surprised and somewhat startled, he stood up and turned around, concerned that he had trespassed on restricted private ground. The man he now addressed seemed neither threatening or rude. Beg your pardon, honored sir, I didn't mean to thus intrude. Not at all. In fact, you're welcome, said the stranger. Welcome, surely. It's nice to know I'm not the only one this day who's risen early. So familiar seemed the stranger, put the rich man right at ease. Perchance are you the gardener, caring for the plants and trees? 
The stranger gave a laugh. His eyes contained a playful shine. I've been known to trim or prune a growing vine from time to time. Hope you don't resent my asking, said the stranger, drawing near. I just couldn't help but wonder, at this hour, what brought you here. There was something about the gardener that allayed his tight reserve, so the rich man told his story, every last perplexing word. And so I feel abandoned, said the rich man, and confused. I'm so full of keen regret, his invitation I refused. And now my heart is breaking with a whispered voice he swallowed, and with Jesus cold within a tomb, I've got no one to follow. The stranger smiled a knowing smile and motioned with his head. Nodding at a rose bush, he then turned and gently said, You see those lovely roses, all those blooms so full of beauty? There's only one way to achieve this. It's the gardener's sacred duty. To prune and cut and shorten, all unfruitful branches purge. In removing those obstructions, its true beauty can emerge. And so it is with people. It's where living really starts. God will empty out our hands so he can overflow our hearts. These words were like an ointment to the rich man's battered soul. He could feel his heart reforming, broken pieces mending whole. As for someone you can follow who will lead to what is true, I believe the thing well promised was creating all things new. Love always grows much stronger when our fear and doubt diminish. Just fix your eyes on God. For what he starts, he'll always finish. Then he grasps the rich man's shoulder as their conversation ends. I'm afraid I have to go now, for I've got to meet some friends. The rich man sat alone, then from a distance heard a cry. Sometimes that good old camel makes it through the needle's eye. He quickly raised his head, and from his throat there came a gasp, for who he'd just been talking to, his mind now firmly grasped. He looked beyond the trees, out through the filtered light of dawn. He could see no form or figure. It was clear the man was gone. As he stood there in the garden, and a smile played on his face, he had never felt so free, religion overcome by grace. With the sun now fully up, the rich man quick retraced his route, returning to the city unencumbered now by doubt. Feeling fresh and single-minded, there's one thing that he knows well, that he must hurry home because he's got some things to sell. Even though the needle's eye is mostly fiction, it's not hard to imagine Jesus continuing to pursue a soul that had once rejected him. It's the most beautiful thing about our Savior. He never gives up on us. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not waiting for us to be worthy or deserving of his love, his sacrifice for us is all the more amazing. You may have experienced an invitation from the Savior, an invitation you may have ignored or spurned. Well, the word gospel means good news. And the good news is that invitation still stands. Jesus opened his arms wide when he died on the cross. They are still open today. <laughs> 